Hello, welcome to the XX Mormon podcast. I'm your uh, host slash conducting or presiding. I don't know. I don't know the difference. Heavenly <laughs> Mother. And with us today on this beautiful Sabbath morning, we have a special guest, a guest who has, again, just like Heavenly Mother, no real first name, but two titles, Elder Sister, Mysterious yes. know. Thank you for being here, Elder Sister. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. <laughs> I'm excited to have you too. So um, Elder Sister, unlike some guests, I've never met Elder Sister before. Elder Sister uses she, her pronouns. So that's what I will call her in between using her name, Elder Sister. Um, so it's getting to know her through me, everyone all at once. We're all getting to know you. So yay. So <laughs> Twists and turns of, of, ahead. Twists and turns ahead. <laughs> Um, so I have a little blueprints um, for questions. Um, and so for the beginning, what is your background in the church? Where are you from? Are you a convert? Are your fa- is your family a convert? Are they been in the church for a long time? What's their jam? Tell us about the background of Elder Sister. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I was not born in the covenant, as they say, um, but, uh, my siblings and I are all adopted. Um, and so definitely raised in the church since day one though. Um, I grew up in Utah. I've always lived in Utah. Um, so very, I wouldn't say extremely strict Mormon parents, um, but pretty strict. Um, you guys have talked about on the podcast, like, Mormon royalty and stuff like that. I feel like that's kind of my family. They, you know, both sides of my family come from pioneer stock. And um, my dad always had always had big callings. My mom always had big callings. Um, and so we were always just kind of expected to be these perfect Mormon kids. And so, yeah, that was kind of my, kind of my intro to the church. And I was really good at the church. That was kind of my thing. Um, and so, yeah, that's kind of, I don't know. Is there anything specific you want me to go oh, into? Or I like that. I like having people from, I love, first off, I love all our guests. I have, there's been a guest that I haven't been like, <laughs> what a non, like they all have interesting stories. So I like yeah. that you're from Mormon royalty. I think it's always, it's always a fascinating experience as somebody who didn't grow up in Utah or from Mormon royalty to mm-hmm interview people and to meet ex-Mormons who were from that type of vibe. Um, yeah. They were strict, but they weren't too strict. Was your family, because you weren't born in the covenant, were they very culturally Mormon too? Like, um, Oh, yeah. Totally. Cult- yeah. Culturally Mormon is the, this is where you come from, you know, that type of stuff. Pioneer Day yes. Decor. Pioneer Decor. Yeah. <laughs> yes absolutely yeah um my so I have two siblings we all were sealed in the temple to our family when we were six months old Mm -hmm. and it was I always grew up knowing that and like we'd get told all the time like oh your blood has changed like you're you're now in the covenant you now are like part of our family and stuff which like looking back that is such a weird thing to tell a child but like that's what we grew up you know thinking um but yeah very very mormon culture um very like stereotypical utah mormon culture as well like like all the things that people are like oh utah mormons are so weird this way like that was probably my family like we were the the stereotypical mormon family um yeah didn't date till i was 16 um could only date mormon boys only really had mormon friends I um I had one non-Mormon friend and then we converted her to the church and it was like a huge deal. Like they my stake made like a video of us. They like interviewed us and stuff and made like a little Mormon message. Like it was like the biggest deal ever. So yeah, super, super culturally Mormon. Um tattoos, piercings were like a no-go, even though I was like always obsessed with them. Like in the back of my mind, I always thought some of those things were really cool. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Very, very, very Mormon family. (laughs) Very, very Mormon upbringing. No girl, I'm eating this up. I like what you're saying. (laughs) There's a, there's episode a hot while ago I did with, um, a guest and we talked about the 
it's in the big huge bite model one that's like forever long but we talked oh yeah i love that episode oh thank you gassing me up we might make my head all big um (laughs) the way we talk about how whenever you have a non-mormon friend there's always that undercurrent of like you should dating non-members there's always which i never did but um there's always an undercurrent of i mean dating less actives too there's that undercurrent of like yeah be active again so that's like you fulfilled that like the the, the prophecy of bringing yes I, bringing I fulfilled in. the prophecy yes <laughs> the, with the, what oh they foretell gosh. of the young the youth and the young generation did your church experience because <laughs> I feel like it was real for me if you think you're a little bit younger than I am but it was definitely real for my generation you know the whole like you're the promise generation bringing in oh yeah did you get that oh my goodness it's so yes weird. That was like drilled into our minds in Sunday school. Like you guys are the ones like you're going to be there for the second coming. Like not like explicitly said that way, but like definitely expected to like be the generation that's like brings it all home, you know? (laughs) So no pressure, but (laughs) yeah. yeah, Oh, Jiminy Christmas. We had it too. I just would imagine that being in a place like, um utah would be even worse you know what i mean because that's part of like the new zion experience because it's the og places in missouri but the current place is definitely utah i did have a comment i loved how you're like i like tattoos and precincts i thought they were cool i have Uh i recently discovered that i was always jealous of and will one day have like a slutty halloween experience because I used to give like, those girls just, you know, it's just an excuse to dress slutty and, you know, for Halloween and I would be all judgy. And I, like, I want to do that. And I probably always did deep down, but I was like, uh-huh. that's for Halloween. <laughs> like, that's what I was in college. Legitimately for Halloween, I was a panda. Like I was like something oh my gosh. never, never uh, slutty. And so I was like, maybe one day I'll have that. So that was kind of my... <laughs> secret like That's Mormon so <laughs> I didn't realize I had oh my gosh <laughs> I'm literally the same way like this last Halloween I was like I could wear something like really cute like I have no one stopping me you know like and then we were like Walter White and Jesse Pinkman from Breaking Bad and I wore a bald cap and a fake mustache I was like this is not sexy at all like what <laughs> we're going back here <laughs> but that's yeah. hilarious I love that we didn't dress up but I don't know. I was how long was on a work weeknight, but any whoosies. But I yeah, love yeah, that. Yeah. That's still a wild and fun Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's also that so funny. That's a hardcore show. But I'll I'll jump into my next oh, question. Yeah. Back on track. Back on track per usual. <laughs> um, so what was your first like crack in the dam? What was your first like? Ooh, I don't know if I'm okay with that experience. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> BYU kind of broke me. I went to BYU Provo. And um, I know you guys have talked a lot about BYU-Idaho and stuff. And I just love all the bashing on BYU-Idaho. I think it's great. Um, I could talk about BYU for hours. Like the shit show that it is. Like it's so <laughs> bad. Um, but I was there. <laughs> oh my gosh. I have to just say. So I just got a text from my mom and my grandma at the same time, just barely. I guess it's the temple anniversary of when my husband and I got sealed in the temple three years ago. So that's just a funny side note that that just popped up on my computer as we're talking. <laughs> so they're all like, hey, congrats, like temple anniversary. I'm like, I don't know how to respond to that, but thanks. Anyways, um, <laughs> let's see. Um, I went to BYU when the I don't know if you ever heard about the honor code stories like Instagram and stuff and they said so they had started that Instagram page um for those who probably don't know who are listening um they started this Instagram page where you could anonymously submit stories about your experience with honor code and it was like shocking like the number of women that came forward saying that they had been like sexually assaulted or abused or raped or all these other things um like crazy numbers of people who had had these experiences 
And most of the time, like the university had just shrugged them off or they had the women had gotten blamed for them because they were like in a man's apartment past curfew. And so somehow it's their fault. And anyways, so this all was coming out um, while I was at BYU in my first and second semester. And then um, they started doing the like they weren't necessarily protests, but they started doing like gatherings in support of the LGBTQ plus community. Um, So they would just like gather on campus and everyone would be in rainbow and that would just kind of be their like showing the community that they were here, that there were students on campus supporting them and stuff. And so those had kind of taken off while I was there. And the reaction from the university and the church was kind of what it didn't necessarily shock me, but I was like, whoa, wait a minute. Like it definitely took me back. Um. It was basically non-existent, the response from the university and the church, especially about like the sexual abuse allegations. Um, And I remember like talking to people, like I talked to my dad about it. I talked to like a couple bishops about it um, and they just were like, well, you know, whatever. And I was like, no, like this is a huge deal. Like this is not okay. And the church isn't doing or saying anything about this. Um, They did like they released a statement about like, we're going to look into this. We're going to like update our honor code and stuff. And they like, I think they changed two words total in the honor code, but they made it sound like this big deal that they had like made all these changes and they had like talked to a bunch of experts and yeah, it was just like, (laughs) it was total bullshit. And then they ended up changing the words back like three months later. So it like, it didn't even, it like for a minute was kind of a gray area. Like if like you could hold hands on campus, if you were gay or lesbian or whatever, and then they changed it back. And so it was like, wait a minute, we're not doing anything. Um, And then I just had my whole experience at BYU was just, it was terrible. Um, But I had some really bad experiences with bishops and with wards and stuff. And so I, after like my first or second semester, I basically became inactive um, and with the goal of like finding answers to my questions and stuff. Cause I just, all of a sudden I was on my own, I was away from home and I was having all these doubts and questions like flooding my mind all at once. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to take a step back and like, I can't go to this YSA ward because it is extremely toxic and not good for my mental health. So I'll just go sit at the temple for three hours and try to figure out like what these answers are to my questions and stuff. Never, ever intended leaving the church or anything. I just figured like it was my faith crisis and I'd eventually like come out of it with like a stronger testimony and stuff. So yeah, I guess BYU, man, (laughs) it just like hit me really hard and um, yeah, I guess church culture too, like it just, I mean, I grew up in Southern Utah, so I wasn't like in the Provo BYU bubble my whole life. Um, but it was like a little bit of a culture shock going up there and seeing like how insane the return missionaries were and how insane bishops were and all this stuff. Um, And I kept seeing, like, posts, like, church culture does not define, like, the whole church or whatever. But, like, in my head, I'm like, where does that come from then? Like, the church culture is coming from the church. Like, what? Anyways, it just it just started to not make sense. And but I was very, like, still believing and was like, okay, I got to figure this out because it's true. Like, I know deep down it's true. And so, like, I'm going to find the answers to my questions and stuff. And so, yeah, that was kind of the the beginning of the shelf I guess (laughs) so I love that oh you had such I have so many questions and they're all good (laughs) as I it's wild because when you were so you were like your your freshman year and that was going on I was back from my Mm -hmm. mission and that was going on and that was a huge experience for me I said on my episode in BYU Idaho but we at BYU Idaho were taking lessons and pointers from big Provo um and then mm. obviously you know how that worked out because <laughs> was a support group was banned it was not allowed um so yeah. you said you had some bad experiences with I apologize if the fan from my computer is loud sorry listeners um <laughs> but you said you had some bad experiences with bishops 
Do you have any stories mm-hmm. or examples or a general theme you'd want to go over? Yeah, sure. I could talk about this. Um, so my first ward I went to was um so they divide the dorms up super weird. I don't know how they do it at BYU Idaho, but like half of my dorm building was in one ward and the other half was in another. And they kind of divided us up into like first year, first semester freshmen, and then like second year or return missionary freshmen for the girls. And they did the same with the boys. And so I was in a ward where most of the girls were first year, first time freshmen. And then most of the boys were return missionary second or third semester freshmen. I think they do that so that you'll start dating and you can just marry off. Like they, they definitely have that intention. (laughs) So I went to church the first Sunday and the, we had Sunday school and the Sunday school teacher or whatever I noticed like wouldn't call on anyone who wasn't a return missionary. Like my roommates and I would raise our hands to like answer a question. And I'm like a, I'm an outgoing person most of the time, but like in new situations, I'm, I'm typically shy. And like, I, I don't like to raise my hand to answer questions. I don't like to volunteer to pray. Like that just was never my thing, but I was like, all right, I'm going to try to do it. So I raised my hand. Dude totally like overlooked me and waited for someone else to like raise their hand. And anyway, so this happened. And I was like, all right, whatever. Like, maybe this is just the first, you know, maybe this is just this one guy. And then it happened like the second time and the third time with like different teachers. And so it was like a recurring theme with like all the return missionaries. Um, And then my bishop in that ward totally like ate it up. Like he was like, didn't say anything about it, even though this was like clearly not okay. Um, just totally was like fine with it. They would push mission stuff like crazy. And during this time I was, so I had gotten a mission call and then, um, my boyfriend at the time, who's now my husband, um, he had been on a mission and had come home early for some mental health reasons. And so I decided to postpone for a while just while I was figuring out, cause he really wanted to get married. And I, Anyways, I had this big choice and I felt like a failure because I wasn't going on a mission right away. Anyways, this bishop like made it a point to be to say things like, you know, if you don't go on a mission, you're a nobody like you if you can't like put yourself aside for like a year and a half or two years to like serve God. Like, are you really a disciple of Christ? Like he would say stuff like that over the pulpit and like everyone just like ate it up. And I was just always extremely uncomfortable. And then um my boyfriend and I had started having sex and doing you know normal teenage dating stuff and I yeah (laughs) like everyone does um as we should yeah (laughs) um and we I knew that I like should feel guilty and stuff and I should probably go talk to my bishop I still had going on a mission like in the back of my mind and so I was like all right never felt guilty once which was another like little shelf item I was like this is weird like I'm doing all these bad things and nothing's happening (laughs) (laughs) continue um yeah so I went and talked to him and it was just like It was, yeah. Anyways, I think I blocked a lot of it out of my mind, um, honestly, but he was just like, we went in and he was like, um, I I was super upset, like just crying because I was nervous and stuff. And he was like, I'm not going to ask you to go into detail. Like, I just need like basis level. Like, and then as we started going on, he started asking more and more questions and getting into more and more detail and like to the point where I was telling him like very specific things that like we had done and it was like okay this is like you're a random 45 year old man that I have known for maybe a month and why do I have to tell you all this and then so in I think I'm sure they do this the same at BYU Idaho where they have students be the first and second counselors in the bishopric yeah um they had yeah (laughs) awkward AM. yeah totally yeah so one of them was there like to meet me before the interview or whatever and I think there were other people who had to interview it was like on a random Tuesday night at like 9 p.m too which was like really weird 
um, I like opened the door to go out of the interview and he was like standing or sitting right there. And I had known because there was a girl in there before I went in there and he was kind of sitting away from like the door and I was sitting like across the hall and I could still hear them kind of talking, like not exactly what they were saying, but I could hear that there was a woman in there and that he was in there. And so I'm like, he definitely was sitting close enough. Like he totally just heard everything that I just told the bishop for an hour. Like that's not okay. And so then every Sunday after that, like I saw him and he just like gave me weird looks. Anyways, it was just a weird vibe. And then I had to, so my punishment for um, whatever we did um, was to, I couldn't take the sacrament for six months. Um, I couldn't go to the temple. He took my recommend away and I had to meet with him every week after that. And then at the same time, my boyfriend had gone into his bishop and he was living in Southern Utah, going to school down there and told him the exact same story, the exact same things. And his bishop was like, all right, don't take the sacrament for like two weeks. And I want you to be going to the temple because it's service and that's how you get closer to God. And so I want you to be going and that's it. Like, just, you know, keep living your life. Good job, buddy. Like, and I was like, are you kidding me? Like I, and I couldn't go on a mission for a year. That was the other thing is he's like, all right, from this point forward, like you have a year. And if you mess up one time that restarts the clock. So if you mess up in six months, you have to add another year onto that, you know? So yeah, that was just a mess. And then, so I started meeting with him weekly And after like three weeks, he randomly is like, hey, I've been thinking a lot about this and I think you need to tell your dad what you did. And I was like, what? He's like, yeah, because my dad was the bishop when I was putting in my mission papers Mm -hmm. um, back home before I'd moved to BYU. And somehow this bishop was like, you lied to your dad about what you were doing and which like timing wise did not add up at all. Um, But he was like, and then he was like, I already told your stake president. So you need to tell your dad, my stake president and my dad are like really good friends. Like anyways. So he's like, you need to tell your dad. And if you don't like, you're not going on a mission, you're not getting your temple recommend back. Like you're not doing this and that. I was like, are you freaking kidding me? Like I have to go tell my dad, like, that who is extremely strict Mormon that like I just had sex with my boyfriend like what the hell anyways yeah it was just messed up um I stopped going to that ward after that I was just done um I did end up starting to tell my dad and he was super nice about it he's like I don't I don't need to know like I don't care like whoever this bishop is that told you to do that like this is this is super stupid like I don't care so he was really good about it but Anyway, so I had that experience. And then right before COVID hit, I had another bishop. I had moved wards like three times and they I, they were like, who is this girl? Like, she's never gone to church before. <laughs> and I would always give excuses like, oh, I met my family's ward or whatever. But I had another bishop right before COVID hit that I was like, okay, I knew I wasn't going to go on a mission. My boyfriend and I were like, we're going to get married in a year or whatever. Um, And I was like, okay, like, we want to get married in the temple. I should probably just go talk to this bishop. Because I didn't think that he knew, like, I didn't think my previous bishop had told him anything about my situation. So I was like, I just need to go talk to him and see if, like, I'm good. Like, it's been, like, a year since I had that last bishop. And anyway, so I went in and talked to him. And he was like, I told him my situation. And he was like, he paused for a minute and he was like, you know, I, I'm not getting any revelation for this right now. Um, and so I'm going to take a week and I'm going to fast and pray for you. And I'm going to find like some answers from God for your specific situation. And I'm thinking like, oh my gosh, like this guy is awesome. Like I've never had a bishop who like was like, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to fast for you. Like, this is super awesome. So I like went home that whole week. He's like, just book an appointment with me the next week. Um, so I go home and the next week 
COVID hits and they're sending everyone home. And I was like, oh my gosh, like I still need to meet with this bishop. Like he had this like revelation he was going to tell me. So I hurry and texted the secretary, the ward secretary and was like, hey, I need to meet with this bishop like in a couple days on Sunday. I just had like a last minute question. Like, and he told me that like he needed to meet with me. It was really important. And the secretary was like, okay, I'll, I'll check with him. And he texts back a few minutes later and he's like, the bishop can't remember what you guys had to meet about. So like, just go home and talk to your bishop at home. And I responded, I was like, no, this is really important. Like my bishop at home is my dad and I'm not talking to my dad about this stuff. Like, and he was like, no, like he doesn't, he doesn't know what you're talking about. Like he doesn't, he doesn't have time for this. Like, and so yeah. Anyways, those were my two bishop experiences and they were really bad. And I just like, ugh, just like the mental toll, <laughs> like all of it took was just like, my gosh, like this is so messed up. And anyways, I mean, the, so the one, the first bishop is abuse. Like that's abuse legitimately. Mm-hmm. And I remember like <laughs> girl flashbacks. I remember crying because I lost my temple recommend for being mm. doing normal things that a normal person does at my age. Man, me and yeah. my husband, we make jokes about like, man, if we go back in time, we just would have had sex with everybody. Like, what was the whole? Like, <laughs> like, we'd right? we, yeah. we, we laugh, we kid, we we kiki about it, we LOLs. Um, but there is a realness to it because I can't believe that this thing had this hold over me mentally emotionally physically in every way right bit model bite model Mm -hmm. and it was all stupid (laughs) yeah and i'm so glad you didn't go on a mission because missions are abuse missions are yep um one of the i'll spend the rest of my life wrestling with my mission um Mm -hmm. and I met awesome people I got like really connected with my culture but I also had medical neglect on my mission like and could have died Mm -hmm. and like all this crazy all this crazy shit happened I kind of want to know where your Mm -hmm. call was where was the yeah I got called to Philadelphia Pennsylvania which I was so excited about because I love history I love politics um that's what I was studying in school at the time. And so I was like, this is the perfect call for me. And I had been planning to go on a mission since I was like five years old. Like I had a job in middle school and I saved every single penny that I earned from that job in a shoebox on the top shelf of my closet so that I could save it up to go on a mission. So like this had been like a, a big thing my entire life. And so like not going or having that, like you might not go because of something you did. It's like a huge shock to me, but I'm so glad I didn't go. Like looking back, I'm like, that was the best decision I ever made. Even though at the time, like it was the worst thing ever, but I'm like, oh, so grateful. Like I didn't have to go through that because I have so many friends too, who will talk about that. They, they just hate their missions. Like they're, they look back with so much regret and they're like, I just wish I never wasted those two years, you know? So word it's one of those things that if you remain active you're not allowed to say anything negative about it so you only focus on Mm -hmm. the positive which you have to have a mental like in order to survive a mission you have to suppress everything and so if you remain in the church you bury it deep down and obviously your body remembers and so we have flashbacks and nightmares and stuff but once you leave Mm -hmm. the church you can actually look back on your mission and be like that was abuse. Like I was literally free labor for an institution that wouldn't give me medical care or let me fucking sleep. Like it's so bad. Yeah. I know several missionaries who were almost killed on their missions. Uh, we'll go to the pipeline later, but I am glad that you Gosh. Um, didn't go on a mission. And then, um, yeah, mm-hmm. that Bishop wanting you to tell another Bishop is way against, I think it's even like uh, bishops have a crazy amount of power and yeah. bishop roulette. Like I'm sure you've heard that expression before. You don't know mm-hmm. what you're going to get. If you're going to get a decent one or you're going to get uh, most of the time yeah. they're bad though. It's, it's yeah. not run like a spiritual institution. It's run like a business. Yeah. So the majority of the time the bishops are not these like spiritual pillars. They're like good businessmen. Like, yeah, which was a total, 
yeah it was like a total shock to me because growing up like I knew all the bishops that I had ever had growing up because they were good friends with my dad or and my dad was always in the bishopric or in the stake presidency and stuff and so like my stake president like I said he was like a really good friend of my dad and so I had never had like any bad experiences with bishops and stuff and just thought the world of them. And then I went to BYU and was like, this is so opposite from what I like grew up thinking the church was. So. Cause I mean, yeah. I've run into a lot of people who had really positive, like you had positive bishops growing up. And so they were mm-hmm. like, you know, not getting the bullet in the, in the roulette, you know, <laughs> like the, yeah. like, not in there. And then yeah wild and then they get the bad luckily for mm-hmm. me i never had a good <laughs> luckily for me, i had bad bishops pretty much the whole time except for like one that was not um but it's <laughs> it's interesting and you can tell because yeah. there's like who has the ego involved so it sounds like that whole experience um you had said that you had questions and you were going to the temple to try to get answers. What were some of those questions? Because those sound like shelf items as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, those questions that you're comfortable telling. Totally. Yeah. So uh, it was mostly just like social issues um, at the beginning. Um, I was seeing like how the LGBTQ plus community was being treated. And I have always like been a huge supporter of that community I actually um recently just discovered that I am bisexual um and so within this last year and stuff so that kind of maybe explains why I've always had kind of a soft spot in my heart for that community um and so I've always just been like you know love is love whatever you do whatever makes you happy and stuff but obviously that goes against the church really hardcore um, but when I was seeing like all this stuff happening at BYU, um, it was like, hold on, like I knew the church was always against it, but like they're actively like making these people feel like they're less than, they're not giving them resources that the other students have. Like they took away the counseling center for the for that community. I don't know if they did that at BYUI, but they like if you're a member of the LGBTQ community, you can't go get counseling at BYU. Like they closed that resource down, which I feel like that's the group that needs it the most. And so, yeah, anyways, that was like a big thing for me that I just, the wheels started turning a little bit and it became a shelf item. I was like, well, my dad, every time I'd have a question, I didn't have a lot of questions growing up, but every time I had a question, he'd just be like, well, you know, we don't know everything and it's not our place to know everything. You know, God knows all. And yeah, we don't need to understand why the church does this or the church does that. Um, So that was always my rationale as well. I don't need to understand everything. You know, this is a question that I have right now. It doesn't mean that everything's not true. I just need to figure out like how it all fits. Um, And then I'd also always struggled with like, black people in the priesthood because my little sister is african-american um i have a lot of friends i have family members who are black and it's just always been like an issue that's like been in our family that like i don't think my parents fully understand either and they're okay with that but that just never sat right with me and i started thinking about it more while i was at byu and then after my husband and i got married um like if this is God's true church like how could this happen like how could God be racist like he's not like God is not racist like anyways so those were just like the big shelf things for me mostly social issues um and then women's treatment in the church like that was like I remember when I like figured that out because growing up that had always been like oh you don't think about that we don't think about that um I remember this one time we went to the Manti pageant. Um, I don't know if you know what the Manti pageant is. I or- do. I had a old, I had a companion who's a good friend of mine who was in it actually. Oh no way! <laughs> all right, yeah, so fun. And she's olive complected. She's white, but she's olive complected, and so they had her uh-huh. be a lame night at the time. And I'm like, this <laughs> make as an Native American person, I was like, this is, is so uncomfy. But can oh. you get? 
She was but, really cool about it because she felt like it was cringe too. So we just laughed about it. And like little did we know we'd both be ex-Mormons years later. All right, continue. Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. So um, my my grandpa still calls Native American Lamanites all the time. And it just like, oh, what the heck? Like, why are we still? Why? Why? I just, I don't. Anyways. Um, yeah. So we went to the Manti pageant and it was around the same time this like big group of women in Utah decided to leave the church because of women's rights and stuff and they um this group had come to Manti to protest at the pageant and so my young women's group and I we all pull up and my mom's the young women's president at the time and we pull up and there's all these protesters there all these women with these signs about women in the priesthood and all this stuff and they're all, my mom and all the leaders are trying to like okay focus on the temple we don't need to look around us like it's like the tree of life like we're just gonna hold on and walk up to the temple like anyways but I remember like looking around at their signs and being like hmm you make a really good point there like what what's going on I'm like 12 at the time and I'm like huh that makes sense why what is going on here but like of course we're taught to just push it out of our minds like it doesn't matter um and so, like, even that moment, I remember myself being like, oh, don't think about that. Like, just keep walking towards the temple. Like, we'll just, it's fine. Like, I don't need to understand everything. Um, but I started, you know, unraveling everything. And I remember I was, like, driving in my car. And I just remember thinking, like, oh, my gosh. Like, the men have all the power here. Like, that was, like, a light bulb moment for me. Like, I had never thought about it like that. But, of course, like, they have all the power. Women don't get shit. Like, nothing. They don't matter at all in this organization. And so I think that was, like, one of the biggest moments for me was I was, like, oh, my gosh, I do not matter in this church. Like, that was a huge thing for me. Um. So, yeah, those were kind of the big shelf items. And then I guess my last one, while I was, like, I was on the way out, um, was my dad, you know, he'd always had big callings. He'd always been gone at church for, like, 12 hours every Sunday. Like, it was a full-time job, basically. And then he had mutual on weekends and or weeknights and stuff. Um And then he has a super, super busy job where he works, you know, early mornings, late nights. He's always working. And so as soon as I started to like unravel things, that was what made me the most mad is that the one day a week that we were supposed to have time with our family, like that's what Sunday is designed for. And that's what they preach, you know, over the pulpit, that families are the most important and that Sunday is a family day. And no matter like how much they taught that like my dad was gone for 12 13 hours at church every Sunday and yeah that just made me so mad like that was one of my big my biggest shelf items as well is just my dad is wasting all this time for this like organization that is totally fake and he believes it so much but these people are just asking so much of him and he can't say no and like it's like I don't know. It just takes a toll on our family. I can tell it takes a toll on my mom, even though she doesn't say anything. And yeah, it's just, so those were kind of my big shelf items that they all kind of stacked up. And then obviously little things, church history things, Joseph Smith, Brigham Young. Um, yeah, just, just all these things. So sprinkled throughout. I love that. Mm-hmm. You're very relatable. I think so many of us ex-Mormons, especially women that are social justice minded or have mm-hmm. like a, a a care really they'll take you have to care a little and yeah. you'll find you'll find the holes in the church um <laughs> but it's a crazy I'm kind of imagining it but you had like the last time you went to the temple and you didn't even know it was the last time you'd go to the temple I you know yeah. what I mean is that spooky like yeah. I do too and in my car after the temple um, I was crying and I thought, is this all I can hope for is to just be somebody's wife? That's mm. the greatest, that's the greatest accomplishment I will ever have in this church. Mm-hmm. And like, obviously one of my greatest joys in life is being married to who I'm married to. I'm obsessed with him, <laughs> but 
I am a whole person that isn't just who I am. I, I'm not just the brother of Jared's wife. I'm a whole human being, but the church does not. And I was in the temple in the second part, the, you know, there's like the earth part and there's the middle part. Mm-hmm. And that's when like that thought came to me and I couldn't get it out of my head. Um, so was that time, like the last time you went to the temple, is this what it sounds like? Cause that's what I'm imagining. Oh yeah. So that's funny. You bring that up because today, like I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, this was the day that my husband and I got sealed. It was also the day that I went through the temple for the first time. And I think I only went one other time after this. So like, this is probably around the time, like two years ago that I was like, this is my last time going. So that's super funny. Um, But yeah, totally same experience. I remember when I got married in the temple, we got married civilly first because it was COVID, which I'm so glad we did. We just had like a normal wedding. And then we had our ceiling four months later. Um, But I just remember like they were hyping it up so much and like you're going to learn each other's names and like it's going to be like such a bonding experience for you two. And then we get there and it's like all about him and I'm like, okay, whatever, like I get it. But and then we had like an interview with the temple president right before and he was just talking the whole time about like how I needed to support my husband in his priesthood duties and his callings and how I needed to like be the homemaker and how we needed to have kids right away and like all this stuff. And I'm like, what did I just sign up for? Like, I'd already been married to this man for four months. And I was like, yeah, he's my favorite person ever. But like hearing this side of it was like, what? Like, are you serious? Is this how it's supposed to be? Like, this is not how the last four months have been. Like, am I supposed to? I don't know. It was just, yeah, it was wild. So definitely same experience for me. I was just like, ooh, not not good. I never liked going to the temple either. Like, I just have to say that I never, it Preach never it, was girl, for me. It. I was like, this is so weird. This is so culty. Like, why do we do any of this? It's so weird. Yeah. Have you heard the episode temples are creepy? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> me and my sister, we just laugh the whole time. It's hilarious. But it is. Yeah. And we're not allowed you're never allowed to say that it makes you uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. You're never allowed to say that it's a little eerily quiet in there. And <laughs> yeah. You're never allowed to say any of it. But mm-hmm. I am really glad that you did get to have a normal wedding, a wedding that you would have wanted. And oh, the yeah. ceiling was... And we didn't make it that far. <laughs> we, didn't, <laughs> we had a normal wedding and then like the ceiling was on the table and then it never <laughs> ended up I love happening. that for you. so while you're having your I guess we'll call it a faith crisis but really it's like an awakening was your husband because he went from your boyfriend to your fiance to your husband kind of throughout this experience of your Mm -hmm. faith crisis hashtag awakening yeah um what was his thought process what was it like for him? Was it like a 180? Like, surprise, babe, we out. Like, <laughs> no, so it was, so like I mentioned, he came home from his mission early. He was out for only three months. And um, ever since he got back, he was just like, I could tell he wasn't like all the way in it, but I could tell he wanted to be. Um, And so for a while, I felt like I was his like spiritual crutch. And then while I was going through my time at BYU and kind of the ending moments of BYU, I felt like I was leaning on him a little more. Um, And then like a year and a half into our marriage, um, I just remember like all of these shelf items are piling up. All of these doubts and questions in my mind are starting to to like really bother me and stuff. Um, And I was still still in the mindset of like, I need to find answers so I can stay in this because I know it's true. Like these things are just like piling up right now. And like, I knew this was going to happen. I know people have faith crises all the time. So um, I was like, I just need to tell him about this so that he can help me stay strong. Um, And so I remember we were driving home. His parents used to live in Northern Utah and we had moved back to Southern Utah. So we had like a four hour drive back from his family's house that we were at one weekend. And I remember just mentioning like, Hey, he could tell something was wrong. And I was like, I'm just having like all these questions and doubts about the church, but I know it's true. Like I, 
I just need your help. Like maybe we can like recommit to going to church again, or we can ask for a calling or something. And he was like, oh my gosh, I've been having the same thoughts. And so like we had gone like a year of like having this kind of same experience of like all these questions and his were more like church history stuff. Like he had a really big problem with Joseph Smith and Brigham Young. And I had never thought about that. And he had never really thought about like women in the church and like the LGBTQ community and like stuff like that. And so together we had kind of put together the whole puzzle by the end of the four hour drive. Um, And, but still like, okay, we have all these like huge questions. What do we do? Okay. Well, we're taught to, you know, double down. We're taught to pray more and read our scriptures more and to go to church more. And so that's what we're going to do because that's going to help us get through this. That's going to help us find answers. Um, So we started, like, we rededicated ourselves to going to church. We'd kind of been like, eh, we'll go if we're around, you know. Um, But we had started going, like, we're going to go every week. We're going to go to our ward because we'd gone and seen family a lot too. And so we're going to go to our ward. We're going to ask the bishop for a calling. We're going to, you know, start praying more. We're going to all these things and being like the perfect Mormon couple for a long time. Um, but just nothing, nothing was clicking. Nothing was working. No matter how hard we worked, nothing was changing. We still had more questions and and more and more things just kept piling up on the shelf for both of us. Um and so, yeah, it's kind of been a journey that we've kind of gone through together, which I'm so glad. Like, I have a lot of friends and a lot of couple friends who one of them's left and the other is still trying to stay in or they're slowly leaving and the other person is, like, totally gone or whatever. And it's just really hard. And so, like, it's been awesome that we've kind of had the same experience and we've kind of gone through this together. So, luckily, he was <laughs> he was on the exact same page as I was. So. No, I love that. I like what you're describing because it sounds very familiar to me just from seeing the the heteronormative experience for men that are raised in the church, particularly for is your husband white? Is he mm-hmm. is he yeah. white? I think for white men in the church, church history is such a great shelf item for them because mm-hmm. their oppression is so much more undercurrent. Like you and me, like we're drowning in the waves. Like, oh no, the waves are for <laughs> yeah. them. It's like this undertow that's just that's just pulling at them because it isn't something that they can clearly identify that they can say this has a face. Mm-hmm. But Joseph Smith and Young set in motion their oppression in a very covert, sneaky, sneakity, sneak, sneak ways <laughs> that are still happening today. Because I think everyone in the church is a victim, whether you're yeah. a man, woman, regardless race ethnicity whether you're um, heterosexual or not the church is abusive to all yeah. <laughs> like, is it like you want a hero to all it's the opposite it's a villain to all mm-hmm. um but i do think that for men that are straight in the church particularly if they're white church history is going to get them they're going to yeah. find that and they're going to be like this is the problem <laughs> yes <laughs> like, this is the origin of my issue so yes i love it and i like that y'all um, left at the same time man car drives these are the yes. way i know the way. The best that's where we figure it all out <laughs> Weird. so what was your final straw do you remember the moment was it the car or was it something else that you're like snap crackle this is all a lie boom mm. shoot i don't know if there was like a very specific moment um i i remember let's see there were a couple of like really pivotal moments. Um, that car ride was definitely one more so of just like validating my feelings for the first time. Cause I had not shared any of that with anyone. I mean, I talked to my dad and my mom a little bit, um, but they, you know, gave the same answers, you know, we don't need to know everything. And if, you know, you leave the church, you're never gonna be truly happy, like giving those warnings and stuff. So it was like the first time that I got validation, like, oh my gosh, I'm having the same feelings as well let's talk about it. Let's work on this together. Um, another moment was in our like recommitting phase, we, um, he had never been huge on tithing and that was one of my biggest testimony builders was tithing. And so we like recommitted ourselves to like paying tithing and stuff, which, ugh, so stupid, but, um, (laughs) 
it's um, a crime it point. is the fact that that fucking church asked for money I, from no. working class people literally crime. prison federal prison immediately guantanamo bay immediately no for real crime. Oh my gosh. Yeah. We were like really poor college students too. And so we were like, pay our tithing or eat breakfast. Like, all right, we'll just only have one meal a day so we can pay our tithing. Like it was bad. It was so, so, so bad. But we went to tithing settlement with our bishop and I had graduated from college at this point. I had gotten a really awesome job that I loved. And, um, I, yeah, things were just going really good, um, aside from, like, church things and stuff, and I remember him being, like, oh, my gosh, like, you guys are so blessed, and it's because you paid your tithing, like, this is so awesome, and I remember going out of that being, like, no, like, I worked my ass off for two and a half years to go to school to get my degree so I could get this awesome job, and I've worked, like, three jobs every single time to, like, get us money so that we can pay tithing and my husband's going to school full-time and he's working like crazy like no this is not because we paid our tithing it's because we work our asses off and we're like normal human beings um so that was another moment and that's when I kind of figured out that tithing is a total scam and it's total bullshit um and then I don't know if there was another it, it was just kind of slow you know like it's been the last year or so that we've kind of been like mentally done um, we still haven't really told our families. <laughs> so that's an interesting part. Our families don't really know. Um, but I think it was mostly gradual. There were like big things that happened, like that tithing settlement meeting that was like, a, you know, it just kind of like hit the shelf a little bit. Um, but then I think just eventually over time, it's just totally fallen off. And <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I don't know if there was a, a really big moment, but the shelf items were just getting too tall. And Yeah. There's no breaks, word. Because for some people, like for me, the the shelf is an applicable metaphor, but I also saw myself and I see other people like a clock, like a Mm -hmm. face clock. And every minute, every event that's wrong goes to, it takes them another minute closer to that midnight twilight mark of you're going to leave. Because for me, and probably for you, it was inevitable like this wasn't true. We always had problems. We, mm-hmm. you were a woman who um, was bisexual and didn't know it, but also you were a woman who cared about social issues. So you leaving is inevitable. Mm-hmm. Um, probably the same for your husband, who's a man who cared about social issues. Like the list goes yeah. on. Like for those of us who are not, I don't even know who the church works for. I think it's probably a very specific group of people. Yeah, but I see all the faithful members who are kind people to be victims. Mm-hmm. Um, so like when you were talking about never getting to see your dad as often as would have been ideal, or honestly, as often a family should see each other, mm-hmm. um, it's abusing. Like mm-hmm. it's abusing. It's not yeah. my feelings matter. <laughs> um, so y'all, y'all are dipping on out. Yes. Do you have, Oh, I don't know if you listen to the podcast a little bit culty, but <laughs> Sarah yes. Edmondson and her, they go this really traps my ass what's something about the church that you just like absolutely that's like not that big of a deal but it's like benign that just really chaps your ass you're like oh i hate this this yeah it totally did (laughs) (laughs) what's your like chaps your ass about the church something that you're like oh i hate this Oh, I don't know. So many things. I just like (laughs) the stuff with my dad. I mean, I don't feel like I'm in my angry phase anymore. But when I think about that too much, it's just, yeah, it it chaps my ass. Tithing chaps my ass. Women, everything (laughs) about women in the church chaps my ass. (laughs) Like, (sighs) uh, There's so many things, like literally. Yeah. It's all a money. Mm -hmm. Pull up what my little questions. And so, yeah, leaving her the accepting phase. I move in and out of a lot of them, but I realize that I have one oppressor and I've had one the whole time. So mm-hmm. the church is just a part of that for mm-hmm. me. I'm like, oh, it's another problem. Mm-hmm. Um, what are your beliefs now? Spiritually. 
Yeah, um, I think I still believe in God for sure. Um, but my God is a woman. So I, I relate yes. to her. If I'm going to have a God that's relatable, she's a woman. So absolutely. Um, Preach it. Oh, yes. Girl, <laughs> you ignited a flame inside me that, oh, continue. I'm literally crinkling a water bottle. Preach <laughs> as you were. Yes. Um, I think I could get on board. I just listened to the episode where you talk about your Disney religion. I think I could maybe get on board with that too. So I'm just like, I'm very open. Um, I, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I mean, we're pretty fresh out. Um, so the whole idea, like really thinking about that right now is like, I don't know. It hasn't really crossed my mind because I'm just so turned off by it right now so turned off by like religion in general and stuff but I still yeah I still think there's a god out there um I'm definitely in a more open mindset where I'm like there might not be one or this might be like a different ending to how I've how I've always viewed things which for a while really scared me like oh I don't have my whole life planned out anymore what am I gonna do like I don't know what happens after I die what am I gonna do you know um but I think I've come to a place of like accepting, you know, whatever happens, happens. I'm just going to live a great life now. I'm going to leave a good legacy, try to be a good person, um, worship the God that I that I believe in and not what people tell me to believe in. Um, and And then I think like just my views on the world have totally changed. I was such a judgmental person before. Um, like anyone you ask if that went to high school with me would probably tell you like I was like extremely annoying and like super judgmental and I didn't mean to be you know but that's just like the culture of the church that I grew up in is you judge people and you're not friends with outsiders and stuff and so like totally taking that away has just been like a weight off my shoulders like I feel so much more free, even just talking to different people and being friends with different people, people who like have different beliefs, who have different lived experiences, who look different than me, who act different than me. Like, it's all okay now. Um, so I think that's kind of that's kind of my takeaway um, from this experience. It's it was a lot of negative for a while, but I think it's now turning into a positive, and we'll see once we decide to tell our families about it how that. <laughs> how that goes kind of dreading that um Rob, because... we'll have you come back on and let us know how it goes on a cliffhanger yeah in need of a sequel oh yeah that's what you've done <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah I think that's it I just yeah God is a woman and that's all that I have right now so <laughs> word I have such deep feelings about that because I okay. It's really making <laughs> moose out. So it's just the biblical story, Judeo-Christian faith story, that Adam was created first, and then Eve was made out of his rib, is so offensive because we all know that we come from women. Mm-hmm. Like that's just like they're literally trying to take that. The creation, the birth of humanity, is from a woman. Yeah. And so it's just very telling that they're like, oh, nope, nope, nope. Mm-hmm. You illuminate that completely. Oh my it's gosh. Really yeah. Sick. I never thought about that. Oh. And that's like the church's thing is they're like women. That's like the big thing that women have, right? Like women are so special. They don't need anything else, but they have the children. And that's the one thing that they have that's awesome. Taken away from us again. You know, it's never about us. They can't, <laughs> no. they can't miss an opportunity. It kills me. And then there was always the questions they couldn't answer where you're like, well, what about women that can't have kids? And they're like, anyways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was my family. Oh, no, that was my whole family. Eyes. Yeah. Yep. Anyways, it's like, but but oh, then what? you're meant to still be a mother role. And you're like, yeah, I know. But also, yeah, <laughs> why can't we ask? It just wouldn't. Yep. It wouldn't make, it wouldn't make sense. Do you have anything that you've like, read or looked into that's helped you as an ex-Mormon for people listening because I always like to give tips to people um I started reading a book uh what's it called it's called leaving Mormonism I think and it's like six scholars from like I think they were like professors and like scholars I guess uh 
for lack of a better word, um, around the country who used to be Mormon and who have slowly figured it out and like why they have left and stuff. And they're very like well thought out, kind of more research minded essays, which is not everyone's cup of tea. But I like, you know, I'm a statistically minded girl. I love like research. You put facts in front of me, like love that. Um, so I've really liked that book. Um, I haven't finished it yet. I'm still kind of getting through it because it is a lot to take in. Um, and then honestly, like this podcast, like I started listening to it maybe like a year or so ago. Um, and it has like so helped me just like find humor in all of this stupid shit. Cause I could go on and on about like all of the things that make me mad and like, just stay mad forever you know like some people do but it's been so good to just like laugh at all the stupid things that happen and stuff so yeah I think those two things have really helped me um I also have a really good group of friends who some of them have started to figure it out some of them have figured it out um and I we talk about it quite frequently and so it's been good to just like have that group of supporters who we're all kind of going through the same thing at the same time so i love that i love oh thanks for plugging the podcast i love that too i love the podcast it's it's wild because like the podcast helped my husband leave and then (laughs) he was this and then i was the guest we just morphed into into (laughs) night now i come on like it's wild but i think that's what as ex-mormons like we literally have to stick together like yeah we left a huge community that told us that it was part you know told us we were family and then Mm -hmm. treated us like shit so we have to like you know recreate that in some sort of manner or capacity Mm -hmm. um and then so i don't know i see the little timer in the corner yes um but did your um did your beliefs about the devil change at all? Because I think about that sometimes. I was like, man, I really thought the devil was out to get me. That guy uh, seems pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> I haven't really thought about that a lot. I feel like I'm not as, like, scared of, like, making mistakes and stuff as I was. Because, like, you know, yeah. you're taught that the devil leaves you away and that he's, you know. All my family probably thinks that I'm, you know, being led away by Satan, which is fabulous, you know. Shout out to the most Word. recent conference talk that tells people that they can't trust people outside of the church. Ooh, um, Ooh, girl, you want, we could, this last conference was changing doctrine. This oh last conference hell. was a wild fucking ride. I listened to oh. RFM. That's how I know. Plug yeah. for RFM, everybody. <laughs> I, yeah, the only thing that I saw was that one clip from, I think it was Russell Nelson. Anyways, yeah. Ooh, rough. Um yeah I don't I don't know the devil wise I think I'm like I don't know my concept of good and evil has changed you know things that I thought were totally evil before like I've got I have two tattoos now like obviously that has completely changed for me like um yeah just just things that were so bad before are not they're not bad or not as bad now and I don't know I haven't really thought about that about that before so that's a good thought-provoking question <laughs> no thanks yeah because i just it's also like halloween just passed so like spooky stuff or True. things are so different to me what i like anyways it's if we already did an episode on, on like what we find scary now because uh-huh. like anything devil and like a cross cast it away or shit like that or holy water burns the demon i just laughed to myself yes that it's so different. True. <laughs> <laughs> that it's is so false like that is hard pass every time when I was a member of the church and like saying Jesus's name would cast something away it would always come back yes so I don't think that's how that works Uh, Hmm, what every time so do you have any final thoughts or feelings you want to get out anything I didn't ask about you want to cover I don't know I don't think so this has been this has been fun. It's been great to talk about all this. Yeah. I've never really talked about all of this before with anyone other than my husband, you know? So yeah. Or, yeah, your partner. It's very therapeutic. And mm-hmm. like, so there's a, it's a saying, um, I believe it's Creek. Um, but it's, if you have your story, you have your power. Ooh. Um, and so I know, right. Native American quotes be hard. Yeah. <laughs> Indigenous quotes be hard. 
but I really like that. And I think that that's true. Um, so yeah, you have your story, you have your power, you have your narrative, you have your power. So I mm. think it can be really therapeutic. Preach. Um, throwing that out there. <laughs> I love that. That's beautiful. Yeah. Thank you for coming. You're Thank you so oh, much. Who do I close in the name of? <laughs> oh my gosh. Wait. Yeah. Wait, we're two women. Can we even hold this meeting? I don't even know. <laughs> uh, True. Oh my God. You right. don't have any power here. <laughs> what is going on? <laughs> I know. I'm only the mother of creation and yet don't have a name. And yes. yet I'm we can't even talk fire. about you. You're too, you're too holy. <laughs> you I don't even know. <laughs> Kills me. Kills me. Mm. Yeah. Ooh. What do you want to close in the name of? You get to pick. You're the guest. We're like a little guest. Oh gosh. Um. Well, let's close. Ariana Grande wrote that song "God Is a Woman," so I feel like we should close in her honor. You know. <laughs> this is the name of Ariana Grande. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs>